a glorious day that we look forward to coming. God, the, the day that we, we get to see Jesus face to face with our eyes. God, what a glorious day that will be. And, and God, it is a glorious day today that we get to sing back to you the gospel, Father. The gospel. Jesus dying. Jesus rising. And Jesus ascended the right hand of you, Father. And God, we thank you this day that we are those who have hope. We have hope that doesn't perish, it doesn't fade, it never spoils. Lord Jesus, we have the hope, living hope in Jesus Christ. And and God, this morning we open up the book of living hope. God, we open up your book that has given, you've given us every single thing that we need for life and godliness, your word says. And I pray this morning, God, as we open it up, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. And God, a heart that will hear what your word says. And God, that you would change us in these moments. God, that you would give us truth in a way that we can understand. And truth in a way that we'll be able to walk out of here and apply in a world that desperately, desperately needs hope. And Lord Jesus, I pray in these moments that you come and I pray that you speak. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been uh, tracking with us, and you've been with us over the last couple weeks, and you've been trying to apply some of the things that we've been talking about, I I think that you've probably been able to see very quickly that humility work is hard work, isn't it? Humility work is hard work, but it's such an important characteristic for us to grow in as believers. When Paul was right towards the very end of his life, he circled up a group of leaders with him in Acts 20. He circled them up and he told them how important it was for them to focus on growing in humility. And I, before, before he, he went on, he would, he would tell them all kinds of words. I wish we had all of those words. But one thing that we know from the very first time Paul began his ministry after his eyes were opened on the road to Damascus. And after he was, right those beginning steps of following Jesus, we know this, that Paul, from Acts 20, Paul always strived to serve the Lord with great humility. Probably some of us have a picture of Paul in our mind that is, he was this big and bold apostle of Paul. You know? And when he spoke, it probably thundered in the room. But y'all first... And foremost, and we know from his example in the book of Acts, that Paul was a man of great humility. And before Paul ever spoke a word, there was a shadow that preceded Paul. Before he ever said anything, people knew that this man was an incredibly humble man. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to have to play back a lot of the things that we've been learning over the last couple weeks because I've got a lot of room to grow in this area, and probably all of us in the room, if we were honest, we could all grow in the characteristic of humility, and it's incredibly important than we do. And what I'd like to do just for a couple minutes is I want to walk through some of the things that we've looked at over the last couple weeks. One of those from Acts 20 went like this. From the example of Paul, we learned that the Lord wants me to be a person of humility. That's what the Lord wants from me. He wants me to be a person of humility. Y'all, the Bible, if you open up your Bible, you find all different commands. You find all different kind of instructions. And before we get so busy doing what the Lord wants us to do, we've got to figure out how to be who the Lord wants us to be. Being 
who the Lord wants us to be is actually more important than doing what the Lord wants us to do because who I am drives what I do. We looked in Proverbs 18, 12, and regardless of your situation, regardless of the different spots that we find ourselves over the course of our life, one of the, the great laws of the universe that the Lord put into place is this, is that, that pride always brings destruction. It does. It doesn't matter if we're in our family and we become really prideful. It doesn't matter if we're in the, God's church and we become really prideful. It doesn't matter if it's in the workplace and in business. Pride always brings destruction. Sometimes it's delayed, sometimes it's immediate, like Uzziah and the leprosy on his forehead, but sometimes it's delayed and we don't see it for a long period of time. But this I know, pride always comes before the fall. Track it. You can watch it, you can go to the bank on it. Pride always comes before the fall. Now on the other side of that verse in Proverbs 18:12, last week we looked at humility. And we looked at how humility brings something completely different than pride. Humility brings honor. So you can apply that in your home, in your family, with your wife, with your kids, in the workplace, in your business. doesn't matter where you apply it. Humility brings honor. And one of the things that we've got to learn how to do that we talked about from Jesus' example last week is this. We've got to figure out what the low seat is. The low seat's difficult for us, isn't it? Everybody in your family, everybody in your business, and everybody in the church. We, we, can, we consider certain things the low seat. And if I'm to grow in humility, I've got to figure out what the low seat is. But in order to take the low seat and actually enjoy it and not be waving the martyr flag, you know, watch me, I'm doing the task that nobody else wants to do. In order to take the low seat and do it right, we've got to take the low seat with our eyes fixed high on Jesus. That's how we do it. So we've got to ask ourselves, what is the low seat? And God, please give me the grace and humility to be able to do it. Now, before we leave the shadow of humility that we've been talking about, super important characteristic that we need to grow in as believers in order to reach our community, I want to give you one more clear as I can, clear expression of what humility looks like in real life, day-to-day reality. Because listen, right, we can talk about humility a lot. I could give you a lot of notes about humility, but if you just gain a bunch of knowledge about humility, you know where that's going to lead, Randy? It's going to lead to pride. (laughs) So we need to look very clearly at what does humility expressed look like in our world. So if you've got a Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 14. If you've got a Bible in front of you uh, from the rack, it's uh, page 923, Luke chapter 14. And just to to bring you up to speed with Luke 14, we're we're jumping actually right back in where we left off last week. Uh, Jesus, he's at the house of a a standout Pharisee. What that means is the Bible says that he was prominent. This means that this Pharisee was a known Pharisee. And it means that when he put together some kind of meal, everybody came to that meal because he was a standout Pharisee. He was one of the leaders in the pack. But uh, so there's a big group on this day, but everything was different. Because on this day at the meal, Jesus came. And anytime Jesus enters the picture, Jesus has a way of just shaking everything up. And it was nonetheless the same on this day. Jesus shook everything up. So last week in verses 5 through 11, we looked at how Jesus gave him a really hands-on teaching about humility. Particularly, Jesus gave this hands-on example of humility from the perspective of being a guest. 
So they all understood what was happening in this scenario, and we talked a little bit, and some of you have talked to me about how this is what happens in your business uh, in some boardroom, uh, boardroom meetings and stuff like that. Is it was a U-shape, and when people came in to the meeting, uh, the highest uh, position was actually next to the host. And Jesus taught this whole description of what it looks like to be humble, and it was to take the low seat. What's interesting is now in the next verses, Jesus is going to take that teaching and he's going to go a step further with it and he's actually going to teach from the perspective of the host. So he kind of changes things on him. So check this out for me. Uh, Verse number 12, Luke 14. He, Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him. So Jesus is really going to make a point here. So Jesus is talking to the host, the standout Pharisee. Of course, what he's going to say is going to apply to everybody present, but he wants them very clearly to understand what's happening here. So he turns to the man, the standout Pharisee, and he begins to tell this parable, a story with a truth. And Jesus says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest, for fear of that, they also invite you in return and be repaid. See, these guys were inviting. This is just, you know, what they did. This was their practice. They invited everybody that they knew. They invited everybody that they were really comfortable with, right? Everybody can think with me. We got a lot of certain people that we're comfortable with, right? Of course, there's certain people that we're comfortable with. And Jesus was saying something completely opposite from everything they thought. Look with me again, uh, verse 12. It says, you didn't read it wrong. It says, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that you shouldn't care about your family. Jesus wasn't saying that you shouldn't care about your neighbors. Jesus wasn't saying that you shouldn't care about these people. But that was already understood, right? Everybody knows Everybody knows Jesus has taught many times that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you love others. So that includes everybody. Everybody knows that you're going to care for your family. You're going to love your friends. But that's what they already knew. First uh, Timothy 5.8 gives us a really good description, just in case we miss this. We should never forget our family. First Timothy 5.8, Paul says, Do not forget your immediate family. Take care of them. And Paul says, If you don't, take care of them, you're worse than an unbeliever. You deny the faith by not taking care of your immediate family. So that was not what Paul and Jesus, that, that Jesus was not saying don't care about these people, but what Jesus was saying is that it's only natural that you care for these people. There are other people that we need to be caring for that go under the radar. Everybody with me? There's other people that we might not notice or people that uh, never get invited. They never get cared for. They never get loved. So what does this have to do with humility? Well, if you look with me at the next verse in verse 13, if you're growing in humility, you'll be a person who takes the low seat and here's what it will look like as a host. Verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
We're getting a really good description of what humility looks like, a clear description of what humility looks like. If I take the low seat, and now I've got humble character, this is what it's going to look like. If we're staying with the same uh, illustration that I've been putting in front of you for over these weeks, is that it's a, a shadow of humility. It's a, 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 something that precedes us before we ever start to speak. It's our character. Our character speaks so loudly. We can say great words about Jesus, but if our character doesn't match up with what we say, we've got issues, right? And people know it when they look back at us and when, when they talk to us. And if I could give you a picture clearly of what humility looks like expressed in these verses is that it looks like hands reaching out. If you could have a picture of someone who's humble in their heart, it looks like hands reaching out. So I write this on the screen for you this morning, is that humility expresses itself with outstretched hands. What that looks like is I'm so full in my relationship with Jesus that I overflow. I don't know if it's a song or if I just heard it from a previous pastor, but I love the phrase is that the cup's so full that the saucer gets a blessing. The cup's so full. So full. I'm so satisfied in Jesus. I have everything that I need in my relationship with the Lord that I just kind of spill over. I so have in Jesus what I so long for someone in front of me to have. Not that I'm prideful. Not that I'm looking down off the end of my nose. I have fulfillment in Jesus. And for anything, I want you to have that. And if you don't have that, if I love you, I long for you to have that. And humility, biblical humility, always has an outward focus. Humility, by its definition, in and of itself, maybe that you're, that you're lowly, that you think low of yourself. But listen, y'all, biblical humility is that I know who I am in Jesus. I know who I've cr- been created to be, and I've been created to pour out. I've been created to, to reach my hands out. Humility that doesn't lead here is not the humility that Jesus is talking about. Humility takes the low seat, but if you stay with Jesus' metaphor that he's just given, humility also doesn't just take the low seat, but if you're the host, humility says, let's fill up all the seats. I take the low seat for myself, but I want everybody. Love those people that say, the more the merrier. Come on in. I I have what you desperately need. And when you have this realization that you have something incredibly important that you need to give to someone else, I wish I could say that you would go out there and people would just run to your door and say, please give it to me. Please tell me where you go to church because I want to go there. Oh, you have hope? I need some. Oh, you have truth? I want some. Now, many times from the description and the, the, the way that our character shows, now many times that something like that will happen, but y'all, if you've lived for Jesus longer than a day, you know that that's not what always what will happen. People say, I don't need that. Thanks, appreciate that. That was for my grandmother, and that was for my grandfather. But that's not for me. Now, Jesus goes on and gives us a real-life description of many times this is what this looks like. So back in Jesus' parable, I mean, you guys know that this is a person who's living out humility is completely counter-culture. You know that, right? It's completely counter-culture for you to look outside of yourself. Everything in the world says, take it, take it, take it. One of my mentors says that you get all you can, and then you put it in the can, 
and then you sit on the can. <laughs> Get as much as you can, but humility is completely different than that. Look at back in Jesus' parable, verse 16, it says this. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. You, you got the picture? You made all the preparations. I know that this has been true of some of y'all. You made all the preparations. You wanted them to be there. Maybe it was the church service. Maybe it was Sunday school. Maybe it was a small group. And you kept looking back at the door. You kept looking. Are they going to come? You made all the preparations that you possibly could. Dust it off the spot next to you. <laughs> They're sitting right next to me. You made all the preparations. Maybe it was at your house. Maybe it was a meal that you prepared. And you did everything that you could possibly do to make preparations. And sadly, verse 18 they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Y'all, don't you think that he looked at the field before he bought it? Verse 19, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Don't you think that before a man bought ten oxen, that he would make sure that they weren't starving and malnourished? And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. His wife probably could have come too, and they would have opened you know, wide open arms. But three different people, three different excuses, all of them the host met with sad disappointment. I thought they were coming. Everybody, you had this experience before? I made all the preparations. I did everything I could possibly do. And sad, no show. Somebody told you they're coming and they said, I got, I got something else to do. They probably told you yes, but they probably meant no, but they told you yes to be nice and they never came. So what do you do? What do you do? That moment you made all the preparations, you got everything just right, everything was just to a T. You did all the things around your house maybe that you don't normally do. You know, you got all those things done, no show. What do you do? Cancel the party? It's over. All right. Get out the cereal, honey. They're not coming. Well, Jesus offers a different alternative, and I tell you, it is counter-cultural. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. All the excuses, everything that had happened, you know, all the major disappointment, the host is sad. Then the master of the house became angry. He was upset. And he said to his servant, Plan B, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. And there is room. There he did plan B. Verse 23, and the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be, may be filled. Everybody knew at this meal, see, remember, Jesus, again, is talking to the standout Pharisee in the middle of all these Pharisees that are just so religious, right? Get the picture again who Jesus is talking to, and everybody knows who Jesus is talking about. They want, you know, go out to them. The untouchables, you could call them. 
Go out, and there, there were highways during the day. Of course, they were dirt highways, but there were people that were living on the highways, and they were all over the highway, just begging, begging for food, begging for money, begging for all different kinds of things. They were all over the highway. There were people that didn't have shelter, and they would find shelter among bushes. Go out to the bushes, Jesus was saying. Go out to the bushes, and there's probably somebody sleeping right under there because they're, they're getting shelter there. They were lined up, up and down the highway. Everybody knew who Jesus was talking about. But y'all, Jesus was making a point in these verses. The point that Jesus was making is that he wanted them to stretch their hands out to those who could never stretch their hands back. That's why Jesus talks about their reward coming at the wedding supper in heaven from Jesus himself. These people that they were to go to could never ever offer back what they were being offered. Verse 14. These people can never pay back what they were receiving. And it's to these people that Jesus said that we should compel the people to come. Well, what would that expression of humility look like in your life? Well, Blake, I mean, this is a parable. This is a story from Jesus. And, I mean, that's what Jesus said that they should do. And there's, I mean, maybe the church should, should apply that in some way. Or, boy, that's difficult. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Blake, me? Me? I, I give you two things that you could do to apply this parable. And I go ahead and tell you they're countercultural. One of them is to identify a person. Identify a person. Ooh, what kind of person? Verse 13, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the lame. I've been saying lame ever since I've been reading these verses over and over again. So there you go. The lame and the blind. Who is that in our community? The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Who is that in our community? Is it those who are poor? Maybe so. Is it those who have plenty and yet are alone and lonely? Is, is it those, maybe they're just those who are the outcast and, and nobody knows them. But listen, the point is this, is that it's those who would never know the unconditional love of Jesus if you aren't the hands that go to them. It's not just the poor. It's not just the, the physically lame. It's those who would not ever experience the unconditional love of Jesus without you being the hands and feet that would go to them and ask you now, what's their name? What's their name? You know their name. Nobody talks to them at work, right? They are in the corner, in the break room. Maybe it's the boss and you didn't ever realize that it's so lonely for the boss at the top, but you know, maybe they're cranky. They got all kinds of stuff, but everybody knows who the untouchables are in your life. Nobody goes to them. Nobody talks to them. Nobody is reaching out to them. They're just the untouchables. There are many untouchables all around our community, all around your workplace, Maybe your neighbors. I mean, Jesus was talking about how we should go particularly beyond our neighbors, but you could call our neighbors those who live across the community, right? For, for some of us, we know so little about our neighbors, they might as well live across the community because, right, we live in a different day. I know, we live in a different day where we don't know our neighbors. But Jesus, his instructions are about those people. So if you identify that person today, what's their name? What do they do? What's their phone number? Good, good. You got them? All right? So you got them in mind? That's, that's a good step. Now, next step looks like this. Go to that person. 
Well, Blake, that's revolutionary. Oh. Yet go to that person. We identified them already. Go to that person. And for some of us, it's go to that person again. Because <laughs> you already went to them once. They expected that you came to them once. But you go to them again, and you go to them again, and you go to them again, and that's expressing the unconditional love that Jesus expressed with every single one of us in the room. Is it not? Grace upon grace upon grace I have received from Jesus. And that grace upon grace I'm to give to someone else. The verse says in verse 21, I mean, Jesus doesn't want these people to just be identified. This is not meant to just be a warm, fuzzy you know, a tear sheds when you see that, you know, that really sad commercial with the ant. This is not meant to be a sad emotional moment of Jesus pointing out these people. I mean, Jesus says very clearly in verse 21, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Compel them. Compel them. Does it mean that you physically bring them? I have had that experience a couple times before. God bless them. Two young girls, about ninth grade, they had, you remember Janet? They had Cody by the arms. They had him and they brought him all the way across the gym and they said, here, preacher, we brought him and he needs Jesus. (laughs) Cody is standing there thinking, oh man, what have I done and where am I at? Well, listen. Cody, you know, I don't know if Cody really wanted to talk to me or not, but Cody definitely understood in that moment that the unconditional love of Jesus was present in that moment. A lot of other people left him cast aside. A lot of other people didn't want to have anything to do with him because of issues that he had in his life. And these two girls said, I'm taking Cody, and I'm taking him to someone, somebody else. Somebody help me. Had another experience like that where Someone was, was dragged all, all the way to me and said, Here, I don't know what to do. But listen, the unconditional love of Jesus was expressed in that moment as well. And you know what? That person didn't run away. I mean, it had to be awkward, I'm sure, to be grabbed by your arms and taken to someone and say, basically, fix him. Here's that he's sick. He doesn't even know he's sick. He doesn't understand about sin or Jesus or the gospel. Nothing like that. But y'all can tell you this, awkward though it may be, you know, those, those two situations, that person, I got to have the privilege of being around in their life for several years to come. I mean, I wish I had a, a wonderful testimony that they got saved and they're doing great to this day. I, they went off the map. I don't actually know, have any idea where they are at this moment. But I do know that at least for a couple of years, they had the unconditional love of Jesus poured out on them over and over and over again. So, I mean... Compel doesn't really mean that you would bring someone physically, but in some of those, you know, maybe rare situations that it happens, you know, I think that the Lord definitely uses that. But what Jesus is really pointing towards here is the the power and the persuasiveness of unconditional love expressed through humility. Unconditional love expressed through humility. Now, for some of us, this is a reminder Okay, I, I know that. For some of us, this is a reminder. We know that as a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to be going. I know. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, I know that for some of us, this is definitely a reminder. But I ask you today, does your love for Jesus compel you to go to those people around you? 
You know that as a believer, you're supposed to be going. But whatever the thing is, other things have taken priority, haven't they? (laughs) Other things have taken priority. And I'm asking you, will you go? Go. Well, Blake, what are you talking about? I mean, Blake, I just barely got here today. You made it here today, though, right? Listen, I know. I know that for some of us, listen, I know. Just by age, okay? And I'm not looking down or anything like that, but just sheer by age, there's only so much going that some of us can do. And the Lord knows that. The Lord understands that. But y'all, the Lord can multiply our efforts as we go, maybe in a state that we would say, Blake, I'm, I'm no fit to go. But I know that you made it here today, and maybe that there's somewhere else you could go. But for, um, for others of us that are more, more able to go, I ask you, will you go? If you have a car, will you fill it up? I don't know why. I don't know why. But I believe that many of us think that we're beyond that or something. I don't know. Like, I have cars, two cars. They're the same if you ever see me in different colors, okay? One, one was working out great, so we got another one great. And Anyway, everything's working out good with the old PTs. But listen, there is room in my car. There's room for other people in my car. I know that it's possible that we got so much, you know, we got so much stuff in my car, right? We got so much stuff in my house that, like, I don't have, I don't have time. I have to clean up my car. I'm embarrassed of what my car looks like. Well, right, we could, we could fix that, right? Why do we think that we're beyond bringing other people with us to church? Why do we think that we're beyond that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, listen, I know that we're in a day where it's countercultural. I know that it's crossing all kinds of barriers and all kinds of lines that people say, well, people don't do that anymore. I think we should. <laughs> Some of the most amazing stories of Mount Olive Baptist Church are those who filled up their car and brought people here to be with other believers. They fill up their car. Fill up their car. I got a car, and I'm going to use it for Jesus. I got food, and I'm going to use it for Jesus. I got something, I got room in my house, I'm going to use it for Jesus. I think some of us maybe just need a reminder that I've been given a car, and I've been given a car that's got room. And I know that this is not the only application of this, but listen, I know for some of us, maybe it's, you know, culturally we think that it's something that's just impossible for us to do. I mean, I get that, and I understand that. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, we're so far in our culture that maybe the unconditional love of Jesus will show so much further because that doesn't exist anymore. And for others of us, this is not a reminder For others of us, this is brand new information. You've never heard anybody say that I should use my car for Jesus. I should bring people with me. I should talk to my neighbors. I should maybe go up and down my street. I mean, maybe call it old-fashioned. I just call it, I really care about people. For some of us, for some of you, I might be telling you something this morning that might just open up a brand new adventure in your life that you've never been a part of. There's nothing like having people sitting in worship that you knew that your car brought them to worship. There's nothing like being a part of Bible study. You didn't save them and you couldn't do anything to like, you know, magically do anything spiritually to them, but you could at least get them with other believers. You could get them to church. And again, I'm not really talking about physically, okay, that we go pick up our neighbors and drag. I mean, it's not anything like that. 
What are, you, what are you talking about, Blake? I'm talking about sometimes for church service. I'm talking about sometimes for a meal at your house maybe, right? I'm talking about sometimes that you eat a meal with someone, that you spend time with them, that you do life with them. I'm telling you, this will open up a brand new adventure in your life as a believer that maybe you've never known about. And I'm just telling you, this is so rare today. This is so incredibly rare today that I would walk down somebody's driveway or that I would call up somebody or that I would care enough to go all the way to their front door that nothing really, really could probably express the unconditional love of Jesus as much as us going to that person. And y'all, this is not meant to be like, this is not like brownie points for the special followers of Jesus, okay? This is your purpose, this is your reason that you're still breathing and your heart's still beating and your car's still putting along, right? This is your reason and your purpose for still being on the planet. And I know, I can almost say for certainty that if you're to take what I'm saying today, simple as it might be, because I know that some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, or blanket, you people don't do that anymore. I mean, maybe they did that back in that day and we hear the stories and we say, man, that's great. That's fine. A lot of people call me crazy. A lot of people call me lunatic. You call me whatever you want, okay? It's fine. It's fine. I get, I get past all that. But listen, I believe that if some of you would take my advice today, and you would identify a person, and then you would go to that person. And listen, I'm telling you, to be honest, you're going to have to go to that person probably again and again and again if you really love them, and that will begin to show the unconditional love of Jesus. I can almost guarantee that you would eventually come back to me and say, Blake, I thought you were crazy. I thought you were a lunatic. I really thought you were off your rocker that day. And I believe that some of you would come back to me and say, Blake, I did. I thought all those things and more. But listen, Blake, I did that, and it was the greatest thing I ever did in my life. And let me tell you this, Blake. I didn't think that you knew what you are talking about that day. But you know what? I'm going to do it again. The gospel spoken is one thing. But the gospel all wrapped up in the unconditional love with our outstretched hands. When you go to someone who's so incredibly different than you, I'm telling you, there is nothing more beautiful than that. And it's just like in the body of Christ. When we have believers among us, and we do, believers that are so incredibly different from each other, and it is such a beautiful thing when we break cultural rules and we cross over all of those lines and God develops relationships that are only possible within the body of Christ. Now, if you're here today and you've heard me talking all about this wedding and this celebration and the guest and the host, if you're here today and you hear talk about all this great day and all this great host, but you don't know Christ, I invite you this morning that the doors are open wide into the kingdom of God. The command, the command is clear. The command is that you would drop everything that you're holding on to, that you would turn away from your sin and trust in Christ. And I'm telling you, Christ is ready to put you the, the robe of Jesus' righteousness on you. Everything that you need to get right with God, you're never going to get, you're never going to have. It's been given and imputed and imparted to you as anyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Christ. And all in that moment, you've just experienced the taking of the great invitation.
The saddest thing in these verses is the very last verse. The very last verse, verse 24, it says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Listen, y'all, there's some who will get the invitation over and over and over. And you'll weep right in front of them. You desire for them to know Jesus. And some of them will excuse after excuse after excuse. And one day, the excuses will run out. And there will be no more invitation. And they will experience eternity apart from the celebration. In hell, y'all. In hell. And that's the reality of our community. And that's the reality, maybe, of some in the room today. Who, I heard the invitation. I heard it. I heard it. And one more time, you reject it. And I ask you, and I pray, that you get one more invitation. And maybe today, maybe today is your day to take the invitation and run to King Jesus, and He will save you in a moment. And for others of us, we need to run into our community Towards those people that we're talking about, right? We're praying for Millwood and everybody in, Los, everybody in Millwood, again, is not lost. But pointing at one area in our community where we can pour out the unconditional love of Jesus. Y'all keep praying in that direction. We pray that God would do great and amazing things. So if that's you and you need Jesus, I'm telling you, we're about to sing in a minute. You just forget about the song and have conversation with Jesus about Jesus saving you. And I can tell you, he's never turned one away. Never turned one away. And maybe for you, that's not it. Maybe for you, you needed a reminder this morning about going to someone. You forgot why you're still on the planet. Really comfortable in our house and in our car. But as far as going to a person, Blake, that scares me to death. But maybe this morning, you see reason in that. And reason that, yeah, we might cross a bunch of cultural things, but I'm willing to take the risk if you are. Listen, I'm going to take the risk anyway. But I know that a bunch of you are willing to take the risk. And I pray that we would. And I believe that the unconditional love of Jesus expressed through humility that our community so desperately needs to see would be shown over and over and over. Father, thank you so much for this parable of Jesus. And Lord, it's somewhat uncomfortable. It's actually very uncomfortable that Lord you would use us to go out and compel others to come to you. That we would go out and compel them to join with other believers. That we would go out and compel them to to spend time with us because we want to offer hope to them. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to not fear all the cultural things that we might break. And Lord Jesus, that you would use us in very simple, very regular, real-life ways to be the hands outstretched in humility to share the unconditional love of Jesus. God, would you do that? I pray that you'd prick some of our hearts, God, maybe that we've forgotten all about this kind of thing. We thought this was something that should be done in another country, but Lord Jesus, there's so much in our country that desperately needs you, Father. And God, we might just get to be the tools. We might get to be the hands and feet that go there. And I pray that we'd be able to see that, Lord Jesus. Prepare this community for the unconditional love of Jesus coming towards them. God, in whatever way this morning that you need to work in our hearts, I pray that you would. God, if someone needs to to talk to someone, they need someone to pray for them, I pray that you'd give them the courage to come grab me by the hand or grab someone else, God. 
someone wants to talk more about being a part of this body of believers, I pray that you give them the courage to come and do that now or after the service. God, we love you. And God, as we sing in these moments, Father, I pray that you'd help us to picture those people that we need to go to. And God, that you'd give us the courage to go to them. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all stand with me this morning as we sing.